You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's so good to have you back in the room today. Welcome, welcome to the YMCA. We're so happy to be here. Welcome to everybody joining us online. We're so privileged to have you with us as well. Last week was our first Sunday back in person, and you guys, it just feels so good. It feels so good to be in the room worshiping together being seen by somebody. It felt good to make eye contact with some people who don't live in my house this morning. Doesn't that feel good? So I've been staring at the Ingalls person lately like, hey, will you see me? Okay, I just want to know about you. What, do you have a dog? What kind of dog? Do you have a picture? And I'm just, I'm just hungry for people and relationships. And you know, Sunday mornings here when we gather, I believe that corporate gatherings are crucial to our our spiritual development, and I believe that the kind of community we so desperately desire and crave is birthed out of these Sunday gatherings, and so, man, we're just so happy to be here. Last week, it was so good to see so many of you that I just haven't seen in a long time, and to be able to catch up and to chat, and man, I'm just so happy to be worshiping together. Last week, we filled this place up, and so I want you to know that we're already talking about how to create more space and how to do it safely and what that looks like for us as a church. And there's some big announcements coming down the line if you stay tuned. But I want you to know that in order for us to create more space for people, we're going to need more on our dream team. And so I'm telling you, if you have been a part of this church, or even if you're brand new, we've got a spot for you where you can get off the sidelines and make a difference, get in the game, be a part of what God is doing here. Uh, Go to our website and hit that growth track tab. And through Growth Track, we can tell you all about who we are and what it's like to serve on the Dream Team and find a spot for you to help us make more room here because serving is our calling. It's, it's not what we do, it's who we are. People are our priority. We, we believe that they matter and we want to make a difference. And our city is our responsibility. <laughs> and last weekend, we rolled out some new... Uh, core values and things that we really want to drive into our culture and uh, that really, I think, just kind of repeat who we already are, but put some words to it. And if you missed that service, I would really recommend you go check it out on our podcast or online and uh, because it is really the heart of who we are. But we really do believe that our city is our responsibility and we want to make an impact here and make a difference here. And we do that uh, in so many different ways. And one of those ways is by being a part of the dream team. And so if you're not on the dream team yet, I'm looking at you. I'm talking directly to you this morning. We want to get you involved. Today we're starting a brand new series called Relationship. Relationship. Do you see what we did there? We took the word relationship and I added shift in there. For the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about our relationships and some shifts that we can make in them because I believe this past year has put our relationships through the ringer. Maybe it was the best year yet for your relationships or maybe it was the worst. 
I find that being forced out of routine and even being forced to be together in the proximity that we were this past year can both lead to a greater sense of intimacy and it can lead to a greater sense of irritation. Maybe both within the same 24-hour period. A lot of trouble we get into in our relationships is because we approach them from the wrong perspectives. If we shift things just a little bit, I believe that our relationships can be better than we ever imagined. So today, we're going to start this series by talking about how we shift our expectations. We shift our expectations. We bring a lot of expectations into a relationship, don't we? We do it in every kind of relationship. I'm not just talking to the married folks today. I'm talking to everybody. We do, we do this in our dating relationships or with people that we want to date. We have these expectations. We do it in our marriages. We do it to our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors. We have expectations for every person that we encounter. Most of the time, those expectations are unspoken. They exist only in our heads and in our hearts. And we assume that the other person should know those expectations, and we get upset at them when they don't. When Rael and I got married, she had this expectation that if I said I was going to do something, I was actually going to do it. Completely unreasonable. Good example. If we're sitting in the living room and watching TV and the fan's making a lot of noise, I might look at that fan and say, I need to fix that fan, right? And Rael assumes that means I'm going to actually fix that fan. Or I might walk by uh, and and see that the the deck needs uh, to be painted or cleaned, and I might say, man, I really need to paint that deck. And Rael's assumption, her expectation, is that on the following Saturday, I'm going to show up with some sanding paper and some paint cans and and get to work on that. I might look at the grass and say, whew, really need to cut the grass. And the expectation she has for me is that I'm going to get behind a lawnmower and actually cut the grass. You guys, she she had some lofty expectations for me in the beginning of our marriage. Her expectations were that if I said I was going to do something, that not only was I actually going to do it, but that I was going to do it within the next 72 hours. She never said that expectation out loud. She assumed that she didn't need to. My expectation was that these were just words, just observations I was making, things I was saying. I was really just saying, that's a creaky fan, and it'll probably be creaky forever. Or I was really just saying, one day, if the conditions are exactly right, and I have literally nothing else to do, and also someone forces me, I might repaint that deck. Or one day, if the conditions are perfect, I'm talking not too nice outside, okay, but also not raining, and I don't have anywhere to go or anything to do, and if by chance I get a little bit antsy, I might go out there and cut that grass. You never know. That was my expectation. This, uh, this difference in our expectations became a uh, friction point in our marriage. We've been married for 10 years this past December, and it became a friction point in our marriage for the first nine years and eight months. Until finally, we had a conversation. There was a lot of silent resentment there on both sides. And then one day, Rael said to me, why don't you ever do the things that you say you're going to do? 
And I said, what do you mean? I always get to them eventually. And one conversation of expectations laid out bare led to some years-long resentment being resolved for us. Just a little shift in expectations. I learned not to say something I need to do unless I am actually going to do it. That's what I learned. And she learned to make sure I know that there is a timeline on the things she would like for me to do. We clarified the conversation and brought our expectations to the same page. We do this in a lot of different ways. We got a lot of wrong expectations, a lot of unspoken expectations when we enter into a relationship. Here's a couple of them. First, we expect someone to change. We expect them to change. Have you ever heard somebody talking about all the things wrong with them, the person that they're dating, and, and then they say, don't worry, I can change that? I think sometimes people don't really say it out loud, but you can tell that that's what they think. I, I don't like this about this person or that about this person or that about that person, but that's okay. We'll take care of that. Time will take care of that. My love will take care of that. I'll change this person. Maybe you haven't heard the words, but you've seen these actions. Maybe you've thought it yourself or subconsciously believed it. Oftentimes, when we're in a relationship and we begin to discover that a person is complex more than one thing, we learn there are things we love about them and things that bother us about them, or even things we just don't want to be true about them. But somewhere deep inside of us, we decide, that's okay, I can fix those things. So we try to chip away at the things we want changed. We suggest new behaviors, or instead we just build some resentment deep down inside, frustration with these unspoken expectations as they fail to be met. And that's where it always leads, is resentment and frustration. Frustration that a person is the way that they are and won't be who we want them to be instead. Or frustration that these small things bother us so much. Or that these unspoken expectations are constantly not being met. And it leads to serious issues in our relationships. We also expect them to ask. We expect them to ask. We expect them to ask us the right questions. We aren't giving them the right answers because they're not asking specific enough questions. We expect them to ask us what we need or what we want. We expect them to ask us what's wrong, but to do it in such a way that we want to answer it, not in a way that makes more things wrong. We expect them to ask us if they need something from us. We expect them to ask us if we're happy, but we expect them to tell us if they aren't. And then when they ask us the question, what often happens? Oftentimes, we don't say what we really feel or want, and we think they should have asked a better question. That question wasn't right. They should have asked a better one. Is this true for anybody else or is this just me again? We put this expectation on the other person in our relationship that they'll be mind readers and always ask the right questions. It's again these unspoken expectations getting in the way of our relationships. The last thing that we do wrong is we expect them to be our number one. We expect them to be our number one. Culture has put this idea in our hearts that we'll find somebody and they'll be our number one, number one in our hearts, foundation for our lives, our rock, our, our person that we can put everything into, our purpose. Our significant other becomes the number one in our lives, the number one relationship, the center of everything. But the problem with a misplaced priority like this one 
is that nobody can live up to that. No person can live up to being your number one all the time, to being exactly what you need from them all the time. No matter how great they are, they are always going to let you down. And the bigger the letdown, the more it shakes your world when that person is your foundation. At some point, every relationship suffers from misplaced expectations. It's in our nature. We spend our whole lives building expectations for the relationships that we have. From the moment we're kids and we watch our parents interact or our friends' parents interact or even parents on TV interact to the very first moments that we begin to dream about this for ourselves, we build expectations for our relationships that will go out over the course of our whole lives. And we do this, and then we have all these lifelong built expectations, and we make them private. We keep them to ourselves. We do things with good intentions based on those expectations, but it creates tension in our relationships because our expectations were misplaced. Robbie does a lot. Pastor Robbie Denson, our executive pastor, does a lot of uh, our premarital counseling here at the church. In fact, if you are getting married soon, do not call or text me. I will give you bad advice. I'm making that clear. You need to call or text Robbie Denson, rdenson at gatherashville.org. And he will help you there. But Robbie does this great talk with couples that are getting married uh, where he will draw two circles. And inside of them, one says uh, reality and one says expectations. And there's an arrow in the middle that goes down to a word that says disappointment gap. The disappointment gap is the place between our reality and our expectations for our relationships. And oftentimes we find ourselves living in this disappointment gap because of these expectations. It's time for us to shift our expectations. And we do this a couple ways. We need to understand a couple things. First, a shift that we need to make is we need to believe and receive and understand that I can only change me. I can only change me. We expect them to change. I'm perfect. I'm great. Be more like me. I think it's time to shift that. Because I only have the power to change one person in the world, and he met me in the mirror this morning. Don't underestimate me. I believe God can and does change people. If you're married to somebody with serious misgivings, there's hope for them to change, to be redeemed, to be set free, to be given purpose, to be the best version of themselves. But only God makes changes like that. And it's up to the person you love to choose to allow him to. You are not God. You cannot do what only God can do. You can encourage, you can lead people towards change, you can put them in environments that lead them towards change, but you cannot change them because you are not God. And maybe it is time to relieve yourself of being God in your relationships. No matter how hard you try, you will never fill that role. So do not enter into a relationship or, or persist with the expectation in one that you can change a person. You don't have that kind of power. 
in your relationships, be it romantic or not, Jesus has given us the best advice in this area. The rule that we start teaching our children when they're very small is the rule we should apply to our expectations in our relationships. It's Matthew 7, 12, in everything, in everything, in your relationships, romantic, with your coworkers, with people you don't know, with the barista at Starbucks, with the lady at Zaxby's who you're certain has forgotten your order, with everybody, in everything. Do unto others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law of the prophets. I love how in a few different verses, a couple simple things, Jesus simplifies what is very complicated in the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. And he says, listen, you need to love people well. You need to love your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. You need to love your neighbor the way you love yourselves. You need to start doing to others what you would have them do to you. Jesus is saying, instead of worrying about what other people do, focus instead on what you do. Because you don't have control over how they act, but you do have control over how you respond. We can't change other people, but we can change ourselves. I can make sure I'm the best version of myself so that I'm giving them what I want them to give to me. In our relationships, we can get very tit for tat. We don't want them to, we want them to treat us a certain way and we feel entitled to it. And if they don't treat us that certain way, then we're not going to do it for them. We're going to treat, we're going to do unto others as they've already done to me which is not what Jesus says. Well, I'm not, I, I, I want them to pick up my dish when I'm done eating if they're cleaning the table, but they don't, so I'm not picking theirs up. I will leave that plate there for the next 18 days. Right there, dirty, they can pick up their own plate. I'm not gonna fold their laundry because they don't ever fold mine, and so this is gonna be in a pile right here forever until the end of time. It will just cycle from clean to dirty for all of eternity. I want them to ask me questions about my day and to do it the right way. And since they don't ask me, I'm not going to ask them anything. It's going to be real quiet in here for the next six hours. I can make this last forever. We do this, don't we? We get very tit for tat. If you're not going to do it for me, I'm not going to do it for you. The way that you treat me, that's the way I'm going to treat you. Jesus said, I think you should do it a different way. Jesus said, what would it look like in your marriage? if in everything you do unto others the way that you want them to do to you. In fact, Paul uh, gives us a, a lesson in humility in Philippians. See, I believe this is a humility thing. He gives us a lesson in humility. He says, in everything, I had this for another point. I thought I was going to see it here. I must have put it in point number three. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourself. Humility says, because humility is our posture as a church, even though you haven't done this for me, I'm going to do it for you. I can't change you. I can change me. I can only change me. It's a big shift we need to make. Second shift that we need to make is we need to say it out loud. We need to say it out loud. What if we just applied this to our lives, this one principle? The thing that's inside of you that's bothering you, the thing that you think is a good idea but is probably not, what if we just said it out loud? 
What if we just, instead of believing that they should read our minds and expecting them to, and expecting them to ask the right questions, and expecting them to know what we expect, what if we shifted from silent expectations to clear intentions? There's a story of Jesus that I just love. It's Mark chapter 7, verses 32 through 35. It says this, there's some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. And he took him aside, away from the crowd, and Jesus put his fingers into the man. I want you to really be in this moment. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and began to speak plainly. Can you imagine? First off, side point. Jesus' friends brought this man who was, who was mute and deaf to Jesus and said, can you lay your hands on him to heal him? But Jesus didn't do what they asked him to do, did he? Instead, he gave the guy a wet willy, you know. Here's what you need to know from that. This is a side point. But what you need to know is that, that God is not going to always answer your prayers the way that you want him to. It may be a more uncomfortable process. It may be a stranger process. It may not be what you were wishing for, hoping for, but I believe that the end result is going to be even better. He still got healed. Here's what I know about this scenario. Jesus didn't have to touch this guy to heal him. There's another situation where a man named Bartimaeus is blind, and he asked God, he asked Jesus if he would let him see. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And the guy's eyes are opened, and he can hear, he can see all of a sudden. In another scenario, a man is blind and says, Jesus, I want to see. And Jesus makes mud out of spit and rubs it over this guy's eyes. Now he can see, but his eyes hurt because they've got mud in them. He didn't have to touch him. He spoke the world into existence. I just think he was making his intentions unbelievably clear. I'm healing your ears, and I'm going to heal your tongue. We got to make our intentions clear like this sometimes. <laughs> we got to make it obvious what we are doing, what we want, what we're saying. No room for con confusion, no misinterpretation, clarity. To be honest, this goes back to our value that humility is our posture. Just like it's humble and humility is important when it comes to, at, to the, the, the first point. I've forgotten what it was now. But hum, humility is important when it comes to making our intentions clear. I think it's a source of pride in our lives to say they don't know how I'm doing because they haven't asked how I'm doing. See, I think we humble ourselves when we start the conversation. And that is what, when Rael and I got married, I asked my dad to share a verse at our wedding. I didn't know what he was going to share. You know, it's always a gamble. You know, we'll see. You know, I knew it would be good. And my dad shared this verse, this Philippians 2, 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above ourselves. And that has rattled through our marriage ever since. We have not always lived by this. But it is what we strive for, to value Rael more than I value myself. Which means even though I think, sometimes I think, you should have asked me the right question. Or you should have asked me if I was okay. Or if I wanted to do this. Or if I needed something. 
Humility says, I value you over myself. I'm going to communicate to you what I need without you having to ask me for it because I'm not going to show up entitled and say, I deserve this communication. I deserve this question. I deserve this intention. Instead, I'm going to make the choice to have the conversation. When we say it out loud, this is what we're doing. And one of the things that we tend to do is when we don't say it out loud, we write a story in our heads for what they're thinking or what they're doing or why, don't we? It's rarely the right story. When we say it out loud, we can replace the story we've told ourselves with the truth. We can actually just know why they did something, thought something, said something, didn't say something. Say it out loud. Make it a habit or a routine to have regular conversations where you say out loud what you feel, what you need, what you want, what you've been thinking, what dreams you've been hiding, or what your expectations are. I think that simple shift can change your marriage. Rael and I uh, have valued this, but it's also something that we have to constantly fight for. We have to restart this one regularly because we're both pretty introverted, which means that we're both pretty satisfied with quiet evenings. It can go weeks without anybody saying anything but our children in our home because we're both just like, it's nice, it's nice and quiet in here. I like it this way. So we have to prioritize and make systems and, and make it a scheduled habit to have conversations. Freaks rail out sometimes. I'll write in my, I make a daily planner schedule and I'll write in there 20 minutes of eye contact with Rael after the kids go to bed. And, and I'll just be following her around like this. Hey, so anyways, tell me about this. Tell me what you're, and Rael's like, is this part of your schedule today? I was like, yes, it is. I prioritize you. <laughs> prioritize it. Have the conversations. It will change your marriage. Nothing has changed our marriage more than these intentional conversations where we say it out loud. I wrote, give some wet willies, but that's ridiculous. I'm not going to say that. Number three, and finally, the last thing today, that we can, a shift that we can make that'll make a big difference in our relationships. This is huge. This is it, really. And if you've got this one wrong, everything will be wrong. And if you get this one right, everything else has a far better chance. Number three is prioritize your most important relationship. You were designed to have only one number one in your heart. Your heart was designed to be structured around one specific relationship. Your relationship with the one who created you. When that priority is in order, everything else falls into place. Because that's how you were made. Only God is consistent. Only God always delivers on his promises. Broken promises break hearts because we were designed for our hearts to be centered around someone who never breaks a promise. Why it hurts so much. Only God has the strength to support you when you're falling apart. Only God can bear the weight of your worship. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's first, everything else is next. In the next chapter, Jesus says, chapter 7, verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and it beat on that house, 
and it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And Jesus says, seek my kingdom first. Everything else comes after. And after that, he says, listen, if you can do what I'm teaching you, if you can do this, then there's a foundation underneath your life that doesn't move, it doesn't shift, it doesn't shake, no matter how big the storms get, no matter how, how scary it gets out there, no matter how much people let you down, no matter how much they, they, they lie to you, they break promises to you, they hurt you, no matter how much, you're going to be okay. You'll survive the storm because your foundation never moved. No matter how bad things got, your foundation was a rock and it was steady. But if my marriage becomes my purpose, if my marriage becomes my priority, if my marriage becomes the foundation of my heart, then when the storm comes, my heart breaks. Washed away like sinking sand and everything that I've built on it, my life, my identity, my purpose, my priorities, all of it just washes away with it and I'm left wondering what to do now. Listen to me, married people, and listen to me, single people. Marriage is not your purpose. Marriage is not your purpose. Your purpose is to know the one who made you and to do everything in your power to lead others to know him. That's it. And when you build that as your foundation, you can build a marriage on top of it. Your marriage is not your purpose, it's a partnership. It's a partnership that leads you to accomplish your purpose. It's somebody to come next to you and make you better at your purpose. It's somebody to stand there in days when you don't wanna pursue your purpose. But marriage is not your purpose. It should never be your number one. We gotta get our priorities right. We make this shift. And if we stop expecting our spouse to be our purpose, we can start expecting them to be our partner. And we can call them up to that and together we can do incredible things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that is what it is all about. And when we understand that, when we live that way, everything else is better, more firm, stronger than it could ever be before. What's that look like? It means get your heart right. It means prioritize knowing God and worshiping Him, studying His Word, getting closer to Him. It makes you a better version of yourself. And you can't change your spouse, but you can change you. It means I don't expect my husband or my children or my wife to give me purpose. He is my purpose. If we expect our spouse to take God's role in our lives or we try to take God's role in theirs, we will always be let down and our expectations will never be met and we will be broken in the end. But if we can shift those expectations and we can expect God to be God 
and our spouse to be our partner, and we can pursue Him alongside one another, everything changes. If you're here today, and maybe for you, you, you've seen the sand wash away many times. You just keep rebuilding your life. You keep rebuilding your heart. And then another storm comes and it washes away again. I want to tell you about a better way today. That you don't have to live in that pain. You don't have to live in that utter destruction anymore. That you can set your life upon solid rock that you can put something in your marriage that will make your marriage stronger than it ever could be without it. If you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the hard work is already done. You don't have to get your act together. You don't have to stop doing the things that you shouldn't be doing. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything except believe. It's just that simple. Jesus went to the cross so that your sin could be forgiven, so that there would be just an, just an offer on the table all the time. And he came back out of the grave so that you would have the hope of a better tomorrow. And all you have to do to enter into a relationship with him is just say, forgive me for doing this alone. Here's my sins, I lay them out. And from this point forward, I'm yours. It's that, that's it. If you're in here today, and you'd like to enter into a relationship with Jesus and, and start there by getting your priorities in order. And every head bowed, every eye closed, just say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for making a way for me, for wanting me, for seeing me, for desiring me. So forgive me for all my sin. Forgive me for every mistake. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own for so long. Forgive me for putting other people in your position. Today, I want you to be my number one. I want you to be my foundation, my rock. I give my life to you, everything that I am from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org, find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church, or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.